Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, you can relax. I'm not going to be. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to be uh, ranting about some political opinion or even non-political opinion, <laughs> as I usually do. Um, today, you can relax and uh, listen to a story. I'm very excited to hear my guest's story. Her name is Mel- Melissa Schoenfeld. And um, she is the author of a new book called Bitter or Better, the Melissa Schoenfeld story. And um, the uh, title of today's show is How Not to Hire a Hitman. So <laughs> that uh, I'm sure that's uh, intriguing and has intrigued, intrigued you all. So we can now just sit back and um, listen to Melissa tell her story. I want to just mention or ask you first. Um, you're a psychotherapist. So I'm a, re- I'm a retired psychotherapist now. Okay. But were you a psychotherapist when this story happened to you? Yes, I was. Okay. All right. So why don't you take it away? Maybe before getting right into the nitty gritty of your story, just could we have a little background, you know, like where you were born and where you were raised and that kind of thing. Like who in the world would get into it? Who would try to hire a hitman? (laughs) I don't know. All right. Um, I was born in Brooklyn, New York. Um, We wound up moving to uh, Bergen County, New Jersey when I was four years old. I graduated high school there. I went to, uh, William Patterson College, uh, which is now a university. And then I got married and my uh, husband was in the military. So we had lived in Kentucky, uh, Texas, Germany, and then finally settled up uh, by Fort Drum, New York. So upstate New York. Um, I decided to go back to school. I had an undergraduate degree in political science and I minored in sociology, and I decided to go back to Syracuse University for my master's in social work. Um, I wound up uh, concentrating on family mental health, uh, worked in a bunch of different places, including a school, and then I wound up in private practice. Uh Uh-huh. And is the reason why you are retired from that now because of the story you're about to tell us? I surrendered my license the day I accepted a plea. In order to get my license back, New York State told me that I had to, to uh, I had to earn one continuing education credit for every month I have not practiced. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a really hefty amount of continuing ed. And I decided I've paid my dues with my time as a guest of New York State Department of Corrections that I was not going to... Uh, invest that kind of time, not not at this stage of life. So I, I am keeping my license retired right now. Uh-huh. So how many how many months would that have been that you how many courses would that have been? Or credit? Uh, right now it would be uh, over ninety eight. Hmm. <laughs> that would keep you busy for a while. Okay. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. All right. So then 
so then, and then you had a daughter. I had a daughter. And then two years and nine months later, I had a son. My daughter was born in Kentucky. My son was born in Germany. Um, my daughter was actually fluent in German for a while too, which was really kind of neat. Uh, even though English was her first language, she became fluent in German long before she was fluent in English. Huh. But uh, yeah. Um, and so I had my two kids and um, my husband, who is now my ex-husband, got out of the military after we were up in uh, Fort Drum for a year. And then he got into his own private practice. He was a dentist. Huh. So did you get divorced before or after this incident that we're going to be talking about? After. Mm-hmm. Uh, the divorce has nothing to do with the incident. Um, it was other things going on in the marriage. So the marriage was not a healthy one after a while. Okay. Yeah. All right. So um, so tell me about your, this is primarily about your daughter. So tell yes. me about her, besides that she learned to speak German, okay. what, what, what else, you know, tell me about her childhood. And um, because, of course, it'll be interesting to try to understand why she got involved with a man like that kind of is at the root of the story. So yes. what was her childhood like? Um, you know, she was a typical persnickety kid. Um, she uh, she had 107 fever when she was 13 months old. And it created a situation um, which we thought was attention deficit disorder. And our goal was to make... Um, was to make her strong so that she could deal with all of this without the help of medication or any other interventions. Um, with the seizure, the neurologist, the pediatric neurologist convinced me that she was also a lefty. So being the good mother I thought I was, I also made sure she did everything lefty. She was never a lefty. She was really a righty. So I kind of mixed up her brain for her. So then the goal became physically to make both sides of the body equally as strong with sports like skiing, skating, a little bit of tennis. And, uh, you know, that helped a lot. Unfortunately, um, part of the problem in the marriage was the way that my um, ex-husband, my daughter's father, actually both my children's father, uh, made her more of the problem. And people can't be problems, but um, he attributed a lot of what was going on because it was a either or, either I protect her or I side with him. And I didn't want her spirit broken. So I chose very often to side with her. Um, when it came time to go to college, she decided she wanted to. Wait, wait, could I, could I interrupt? Sure. Let's go back a little bit. She, yeah. so she had a fever that caused a seizure when she was 13 months old. Yes. And so that was in Kentucky. Uh, no, that would have been in uh, San Antonio, Texas, Fort Sam Houston. Okay. And yeah. what was that? What was her fever from? Well, they thought that she had meningitis. It was not. She aspirated, went up with pneumonia. Uh, after we brought her home from the hospital, well, they thought she had epilepsy. And um, after we brought her home from the hospital, all the spots appeared on her stomach. She had bro- uh, roseola. So it was uh, a febrile seizure. Um, but because the fever was so high, it it really changed the personality a bit. Huh. And the, and the seizure did, of course. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, so what was she like when she was a little girl, you know, like in grade school? Um, she was. 
Persnickety, yes. <laughs> I mean, did she have any physical or no. mental problems? No, not at all. Um, she she was a typical kid. Um, you know, when I say typical, obviously there's a realm of typical. But she, um, you know, she gave me what for, like a lot of my my friends' daughters would do. Um, her room, I would never see the color of the carpeting, kind of thing. That was probably my biggest argument with her. But she she was a good kid. She did well in school. Um, other kids enjoyed her. Other um, her teachers always had great things to say about her. She even won an award for being the kindest third grader. Oh, so wow. the yeah, she was just she was a normal kid. Um, you know, normal normal sibling rivalry. Um, I think the the problem was my ex husband was the center of my world until I had kids. And then once you have children, they kind of take over. And I think he blamed her for that in a lot of ways. So he made her the problem. And she grew up, I think, believing that. And and that's 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 quite a disservice to a child. Um, so she started to feel maybe she wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. So the guys that she would date were not something that we would have said, oh, this is a great match. I, I don't mean to, to, to sound like I'm, I'm a snob when I say this, but they were beneath her. And when I say that, I, I don't really mean it the way it came out. It's um, She was going for, for guys that did not treat her well, that um, didn't have decent jobs or didn't go to school. Um, and it reflected in in everything that, that started to build and, and eventually what happened here that landed me in prison. Okay. So, um, so you know, I, 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 my first book was called Bad Boys, Why We Love Them, How to Live With Them, and When to Leave Them. Uh-huh. Um, and the reason why women go for bad boys, as you know, um, is because is it primarily due to their relationship, a dysfunctional relationship with their father. Yes. And so it makes them feel unlovable. Yes. And so I described 12 different types of bad boys and the kind of relationship that the little girl had growing up with her father is what determines what kind of bad boy of the 12 different kinds the girl would be attracted to. So, um, so, okay. So when did, so she went to college, right? What college did she go to? Uh, she went to Cortland, uh, SUNY Cortland, which is a New York state school. And then in her junior year transferred to Syracuse university. Uh huh. So she had a batch. She graduated with a bachelor's in social work and, uh, then decided she uh, was going to go for a master's degree at Syracuse in the Cultural Foundations of Education. So she finished that master's degree, needed a job, and uh, we had a relative in uh, South Florida who said, oh, do you want to teach? I can get you a job in Florida. So she took a, a couple of tests so that she could teach in Florida, and she went down there, and uh, she worked in special ed and then wound up running one of the departments eventually. Huh. Um, and so, so leaving, leaving you, leaving her family. Right. She left um, us in New York and moved to Florida. Yes. Okay. Well, she wanted, thought it would be exciting, right? Right. 
And for a while it was. <laughs> okay. So I kind of am guessing that that is where she met Mr. Wrong or the ultimate yes. <laughs> Mr. Wrong whom she married. <laughs> well, thank God she didn't marry him. But yeah, they, they had a child together. Huh. Okay. So tell me about Mr. Wrong. Uh, a, a friend had introduced her to, um, to this guy. I refer to him as Posse. Um, it's an acronym and I, um, she met him through her friends. Wait, wait, what is, how do you, what's the acronym? How do you spell it? P-O-S-S-D. Piece of shit sperm donor. (laughs) Yes. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So he, um, he was broken. He was a good looking guy. And he he was very upset because he had three children, two twins and um, an older daughter that supposedly his ex was not allowing him to see. And my daughter, you know, found this. She wanted to help him. He was a good looking guy. If she just, you know, cared about him, got him what he needed, maybe, maybe he'd be okay. Yes, that's what they all think. Okay. Uh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So well, what kind uh, of work was he doing? He was in construction. Uh-huh. And um, this friend introduced them because she thought they would be a good match. I'm not so sure about that, but they were all at the same barbecue is what it came down to. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't necessarily a match. If I recall correctly, he probably did tell her, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm not boyfriend material. Um, that was my, my take of what, what she had shared with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were together for a while. Uh, the twins uh, were, they, they were, they were young they were under the age of uh, 10 at the time. And the way that he was allowed to spend time with them was if he had a place to stay with them. So my daughter would allow them to stay at, at her place. And eventually he went to court. My daughter helped him to get his children, not realizing what was going on. And he went up getting them. Um, it was more than half time. And they wound up moving uh, into a larger condo so that it would accommodate all the children. Wait, um, what do you mean all the, ch- which? All his, his children, daughter. his children, his three children. Yes. So your daughter didn't ask his ex-wife. um well, she wasn't a wife either, but her feeling was that based on what he was telling her, that she was just, you know, this, this crazy out of control woman. And that wasn't the case, but she was listening to what he was saying. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're, he- um, we're going to be heading towards break in three minutes here, less than three minutes. Okay. Um, so I don't want to start a whole chapter of it, but um uh, so she never met the the other the mother of his no. children. No, she didn't. Uh, not till much later, after they were broken up and she moved back home, she never she did not meet him until her son was, uh, I think, ten months old. Until your daughter's son was right, my grandson. Yeah, being ten uh-huh. months old. So yeah, but the um, the a whole notion. Um, she told me I could set her up with someone and I called her about two weeks before Christmas to say, I want to set you up with someone. She told me, no, don't. And through FaceTime, she told me that she was pregnant and I, um, I was not happy. <laughs> I was not happy at all. 
Okay. Okay. We're going to need to take a break now. Um, uh, you know, so I'm sure so many people are resonating with your story. So many women, you know, we think we can fix them. We see them as wounded little, you know, boys. And mm -hmm. if only we love them enough, um, right. they will turn out to be our prince. Especially right. if they're good looking. There's a lot more motivation to do so. And at least, yes. he, at least he had a job, you know, even if it wasn't the kind of job you might have liked, but he had a job. Right. All Which right. Is one, that is something to look at. Yes. Yes. I was happy that at least he had a job. <laughs> All right. Well, we will take a break now. My guest is Melissa Schoenfeld. Her book is Bitter or Better, the uh, Melissa Schoenfeld story. And when we come back, we will go further on this journey of this story. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com these days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch, where we're talking today about how not to hire a hitman. My guest is Melissa Schoenfeld. Uh, her book, her new book, is called Bitter or Better, the Melissa Schoenfeld story. And we have begun this journey um, with her daughter um, having started to date a bad boy <laughs> <laughs> and um, whose, whose name was Posse. <laughs> um, 
so t- let's um, just tell us a little bit about how, you know, what, what, if anything, she did tell you before she told you on FaceTime that she was pregnant. We, my uh, mother-in-law had passed away in uh, West Palm Beach, Florida. So we had, prior to her passing, we had already made arrangements to be in Florida for Thanksgiving. So we figured we'll go down anyway. And my, I said to my daughter, you know, if you're still seeing this guy, why don't you invite him to dinner? Because we're going to wind up going to a restaurant. And he didn't want to come. Eventually, he did come. And finally, um, you know, he, he showed up late. Um, not exactly dressed appropriately, but I, I, I tried not to judge. And um, short of being rude, he, he sat at this table. And any time another um, male would walk by that, that he, he knew spoke Spanish, he would only speak Spanish to them. So it was as if we were sitting at the table with a stranger. He would not talk to us at all. And wait, my, wait, was he Hispanic? He's Peruvian, yeah. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. Um, he's a naturalized citizen. He came to this country when I believe he was 10. So he is bilingual. And uh, so these random men who would pass by who seemed I, Hispanic, he would talk to? Yeah, I don't know if he knew them. I, we weren't privy to that. We, he would not engage with us at all. He would just speak. Even your daughter? People. Uh, very little, very little interaction whatsoever. It was a very uncomfortable meal. Um, Who else was there? Like, Who else uh, was it was there? just my, my son, my daughter, Posseed, my then husband, and myself. So it was it was very uncomfortable. Um, when when it was time to go, we dropped my daughter and and Posseed back off at her her condo. And I said, well, I, I hope we will see you again. And he just looked at me and said, well, if, it, if it's God's you know, way, we will. And I thought, huh, okay. <laughs> um, it was a little odd, but yeah, he stood behind that um, uh, fear of God because I don't think he was really afraid of anything. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. So uh, Thanksgiving weekend ends, we go you know, back up to New York. And it was uh, two weeks later, two or three weeks later, when over FaceTime, my daughter told me she was pregnant. And I I was very upset because this was not my plan. And one day I, I, I came to realize there is no plan. You know, I thought, you know, she'd get married one day and and the, the couple would come in giggling at some point, telling me, oh, we have news to tell you. Yes, yes, we're pregnant. Yes. And that was my dream. That wasn't hers. And I, um, I had to get rid of that, that image. And that, that wasn't easy for me. You know, I, I, I guess, you know, we all have expectations for our kids. And this wasn't what I expected for mine. Yes, yes. Um, so it, it was disappointing to me. So just one thing, um, how old were, was she when you and your husband got divorced, the, her father? Her father, she was 34. Oh, okay. So it was way yeah. after this. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've been divorced now five years. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Uh, he, he divorced me while I was in prison. <laughs> how nice. Okay. Yes. <laughs> All right. So, so 
continues. So she tells you on FaceTime that she's pregnant. She's pregnant. You aren't so happy. And no. then what I she says, Can you tell dad? And I went, No, <laughs> but you can. So I went with my phone inside to where uh, my husband was sitting and I kind of pinched his back like he knew you'd say what you're supposed to say. And he repeated the same thing I did after he uh, she told him. He said, are you happy about this? And it's like, wow, we both had the same script. She said, yes. And then we both said, then we're happy for you. Uh-huh. With that, I uh, hung up the phone and I called my best friend who was on her way to visit her family in England. And I said, I don't care that you're boarding a plane. I need to talk. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, her comment couldn't have been more accurate when she said, it doesn't matter. You will love this baby when it comes into the world. Just ride it out. And she was right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, We were going to visit my dad in um, Santa Fe, New Mexico for Christmas. And we're all sitting at the dinner table. And my daughter's turning green with morning sickness. <laughs> and my her father looks at my father and says, um, Hal, you've been a really great dad. And he goes, Oh, now my father's eating. He goes, mm-hmm. he goes, and you've been a great granddad. He goes, mm, okay. He says, and you're gonna be an even better great grandfather. And he puts his fork down and he goes, Who? And my son raises his hand and goes, Not me. <laughs> and and that's how it went. He kept eating. He was not happy how this was going down either. And well, was Posse there at that dinner no, too? No, uh-huh. he wouldn't go with her. No. How did he know not to be happy? Um, because again, he had the plan that you know the, you, you're supposed to be traditional. You know, you're supposed to get married. Then you're supposed to, you know, after a few years, then you have this child. Right. And it right. just wasn't in the plan. Right. Okay. So I so didn't know. He didn't know, he didn't how, know how to react. It was. <laughs> yeah. No. He did um, not know. Did your daughter want to marry him? I don't think my daughter wanted marriage because she saw what was going on with the marriage of her mother and father. Um, and she saw that we were not happy. So she did. I don't think she wanted to get married. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know what would have happened had he asked. But... Um, it wasn't something that, that she was interested in when we would talk about it. And in hindsight, I'm grateful for that because it would have made it even more complicated. Yeah. So were they living together? I mean, she and he and his children? Uh, eventually, yeah. separate? Uh, they were doing half, half time or maybe a little bit more than half time. But he also had a, uh, I want to say a studio apartment. I'm not even sure what it was. But... When the uh, he had the boys, he would stay with her in her her condo because he had to in order to be able to see them. Right, he had to have a place for them to sleep. And and the older his older child, his older daughter uh, would come every so often. At the time, I want to say she was like fifteen, maybe, and she would come periodically but uh, not with the same um, schedule that the boys were coming over. Did your daughter like having being a mother, to a stepmother kind of, to these children? She did. She did. She liked the boys a lot. Uh-huh. Um, and that was also hard for her when she left Florida because it meant, you know, she, she wouldn't be seeing them. Okay, well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Okay, so. okay. 
<laughs> so okay, so she's pregnant, and then so then what happened? Uh, she was about five months pregnant. She called us crying, asking if she could come home. She couldn't take the yelling. Uh, she couldn't take his personality changing from calm to violent, back and forth, the bullying, uh, the pettiness, the lack of money to, you know, pay for the extra things of, of you know, just regular living expenses. And um, we said, if you want to come home, of course, you can come home. But my, my husband, her father, wound up speaking with him. And he said, uh, would a posse tell him that if, if you give me back the whole deposit for the condo, I'll, I'll leave peacefully. And I'm saying no, because it's, he's going to wind up wanting more money. Right. And in the end of the conversation, he wound up saying, I'm going to make sure this is a good pregnancy for your daughter. And that's how it was left. Uh, meanwhile, we had a cousin in Florida who was a family uh, lawyer. And he said, just make sure that the, the, uh, his name does not appear on the baby's birth certificate. That was his legal advice. And uh, that wound up being a problem down the road as well. Why is that? He walked in as the birth certificate people came to the hospital room. So it was hard not to put his name on the birth certificate. Uh-huh. Yeah, it, it was like he had radar of when uh-huh. people were going to come into the room. Could... And- could um- um could he could well let, let me just back up there was something else i wanted sure. um i don't didn't quite get that phone call between your husband and him he was he, he, your daughter asked to come home and you said of right. course and and then why did she because he was you know i mean guys especially men who are um, who end up as being abusive are they don't want women there they become more abusive when the women are pregnant as you may know yes. um that is the time because they feel as though the woman is taking her love away from him and concentrating on the baby so that's when abusive men men who perpetrate domestic violence become more violent and so right. that was what was happening so right. So I don't understand what your husband said to him, why things changed for why she didn't come home. I'm not, I wasn't privy to the whole conversation, but they had an agreement in the end. Um, My daughter went up coming home right after that call on her school break. She came home for a week because she was working at the school. And um, when she returned back, when she returned home to Florida, Pasid's mother and his 10-year-old half-sister were living there, along with a dog that was dying of cancer and a rabbit. And she had two, my daughter had two dogs of her own as well. And this woman had gone through her closet, gone through all her things, and said, you're pregnant. You should have an abortion. And she just got back. So, yeah. Uh, she wound up staying there for a couple of weeks until she finally found a place of her own. And then the mother moved out with her, her daughter. But, um, but had your daughter, did your daughter own that condo? No, but she, she was renting it, but it was, I don't know if it was in both their names or just her name. I don't remember that part, but um, regardless. So he was saying, if you give me back the deposit for this rented um, condo. Right. That he would leave. That exactly. he would leave. Right. 
And okay. And so you didn't want to start that train of like someone blackmailing you again and again. Okay. Right. It's the money train. So your daughter moved out on her own. She didn't wait for him to move. No, no. The mother wound up moving out after a few weeks of being there. Um, Because the mother just showed up on the school vacation while my daughter was up visiting with us in New York, stayed those few weeks after making her life a living hell, and then um, found her own place. I, I someplace in Florida. Oh, the mother. Oh, the mother found the her. Mother own place. did. Oh, yes. so she kept yes. living. Your daughter kept living right. with with Posse yes. in this yes. condo. Okay, correct. Taken from there. Right. So um, she wound up going into labor the day that I was coming to visit her, uh, coming down to stay with her. And uh, she was a day late, you know, in having the baby. Posse refused to bring her to the hospital. Yeah. So he went, he went to work. My brother happened to be in Florida and he picked her up, drove her to the hospital. Her water had broke. And he stayed with her until my plane landed. He came and got me. And in the half hour he was gone, Posse showed up at the hospital so when I got there at like, I don't know, 10 after two in the afternoon, he was there and he would not, he wouldn't even say hello to me. And I very quietly went up to him and said, look, this is your show. You don't want me here. I'll go back to the condo. I'll take care of the dogs. You know, just tell me what you want me to do. In disgust, he just kind of sat down and again, wouldn't talk to me. Um, why she, was he, do you know why? Like, why did he have this attitude towards you and your family? I don't, he was always that way you know, from the first time I met him. I don't know. I just, um, I don't know. Okay. Um, when uh, she went into labor, he wound up calling his family. So his mother and a 10-year-old stepsister were in uh, Disney. They wound up coming back down. And his father and stepmother wound up. They lived very close to the hospital. They went up coming, and I got along with them fine. And we, um, you know, we kind of waited together. Well, my daughter needed an epidural, and he he was so belittling. Um, labor is not fun; it hurts. And he's telling her she's being dramatic, and I'm twisted. I'm trying to keep my mouth shut, and the nurse comes in and says to him. <laughs> Did you ever have a grape pass through your penis? Shut up. <laughs> and with that, he decided to leave. So he left the hospital. He said he was going home to go to sleep. So uh, my daughter at the epidural, uh, she's not progressing at all with her labor, and they wound up having to do an emergency C-section. So I called him to say, you need to come back. She needs a C-section. He said, no, she doesn't. Uh, I, that's going to get money. Said, well, you know, I, I'm not an OBGYN. Um, they say she needs this. She needs this. Because I'll be there when I get there. About an hour, an hour and a half later, he showed up. They only lived 10 or 15 minutes from the hospital. So it was very, um, it was passively aggressive uh, what he was doing. He got there just in time to get draped to go in for the, uh, the cesarean section. Uh, yeah. And my brother waited with me and, you know, his whole side of the family. And um, when my grandson was born, he sent a picture to my now ex-husband and to his 10-year-old sister. No one else knew the baby was born yet. So he, you know, did what um, 
they asked him to, you know, cutting the umbilical cord. Um, I believe he washed, helped wash the baby, and then he left the hospital. So my daughter was left in recovery, and he's gone. So I asked if I could sit with her, and it was, you know, the wee hours of the morning. I stayed with her. I didn't leave her side after that, but, you know, we didn't see him again until that night. Okay. Oh, well, it's good, actually, to lay this groundwork for what you're now going to tell people in this uh, final section, how we got from the operating room to hiring a hitman. Exactly. (laughs) Or so you thought. (laughs) I want to hire a hitman at this point, (laughs) hearing hearing what he was like. Um, My guest is Melissa Schoenfeld. Her book is Bitter or Better, the Melissa Schoenfeld story. So when we come back, we will uh, hear the rest of the story. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch, where we're talking about how not to hire a hitman. So you know what's coming next in this segment. We have been uh, talking with Melissa Schoenfeld. Uh, She's the author of a new book, Bitter or Better. Um, And... um, And as you probably have guessed by now, the hitman that she hired was for her, well, not exactly her son-in-law, you know, her boy, her daughter's boyfriend. Uh, and if you are like me, you were already thinking of hiring a hitman yourself. So, <laughs> um, so take it away from where we left off, Melissa. Okay. My daughter has the baby. Um, he doesn't, Posse, the baby's father, does not show up till that night. 
baby wound up having, um, because he, the, my daughter's water broke, nothing happened. So he wound up having to go to the uh, pediatric ICU. His, um, his belly group and what have you was going up. So it wasn't, white blood cell count was going up. So it wasn't a big deal, but it was a precaution. And again, he gets angry that, why are you putting the baby in NTIC? There, there's nothing wrong. It's going to cost more money. And I had to walk away. Um, fortunately, my grandson was fine. He had come out of you know PIC within 24 hours. Comes time to come home. He won't take off from work, so he says. So he sends his mother, and between his mother and me, we figure out how to put this car seat in. And uh, I, I don't know why they don't come with like a, a, a YouTube video of how to do this. <laughs> and um, we bring my daughter and the baby home. And he's still sitting there. So he... He just didn't want to come pick her up. Huh. Um, it was very stressful. And uh, I was there a couple of days when uh, his father was coming to bring me back to the airport so I could go home to New York. And the twins are in the living room with the TV cranked up like what kids do, playing you know, video games. And, you know, he, this is a five-day-old baby. And he's crying because he's hungry. And he's sitting in Posse's lap. And Posse puts his fist to his stomach and said, Quit crying or I'm going to punch you in the belly. And in that, that, that nanosecond, I knew that if I said something to him, he'd take it out of my daughter or worse, the baby. If I said something to my daughter, she wouldn't take it out on him because I think she was afraid of him. So no matter how you look at it, I'm the one who's going to wind up with the brunt. So I did the one thing I swore I would never do again. I did nothing. We, uh, I get home. Um, you know, we went to visit. Was your, da- was your daughter um, during all of this, you know, what you were just talking about, his not coming to the hospital and, right. and punching him in the stomach and all that. What was your daughter like? Was she crying? Was she asking you for your help? What was she doing? She was angry at the situation, but pass- passively angry in that keep it under the radar because we don't want to set posse off. Mm-hmm. So you want to keep some kind of even keel. Um, I'm in the kitchen cooking galore and freezing food so that she has food, you know, good stuff to eat so she can breastfeed this baby. And the twins are starving because he had them in boxing and wanted them under a certain weight. So he wasn't letting them eat. So as soon as I'm cooking something, these kids are eating it. And again, this is just setting up all the dysfunction that's going on for the, uh, the, the stupid thing that, that, you know, I wound up doing. So I go back home and um, my, I'm reading in the, um, I don't even remember where I was, but my daughter called, uh, was uh, October, it was Halloween actually of 2012. And she calls crying. Uh, there was another incident with him and she goes, I just, I can't do this anymore. Can I move home? We said, of course you can, but we have to plan it. So for Thanksgiving, he was going, uh, Hasid was going to go with all the kids, not my daughter or my grandson, but his other three kids, and drive up to New York to relatives for the holiday. So we decided it would be best for my my husband to go down, fly down then. So he thought we were having problems, and that's why we were not together for Thanksgiving. My uh, ex-husband wound up getting a moving truck who got her out, packed and out in six hours. The landlord was extremely cooperative, and he, uh, he actually locked down the condo, said he's not getting back in here. Um, everyone, they, they could not have been more helpful. I borrowed a friend's car, and I picked them up in the airport in Syracuse, 
and I see a dog with one of her dogs had lost so much weight that her hips were hanging out, her ribs. Um, she lived in a thunder shirt, which is the anxiety shirt dogs sometimes have to wear. She lived in that for three months between it being winter in New York and just being so anxious for everything that had taken place. Fortunately, the baby was just this happy, chubby little baby. And my daughter was so sad, so anxious, and just felt like she failed herself because she had to move from a place that she loved back home with her parents. And let's face it, none of us want to do that after we've been out on our own. So they, uh, they were up a few months when she decided she wanted to be able to get her son a passport. Now, to get a passport, you need two parents' signatures mm-hmm. or whoever is custody. So we had to, she had to go for full custody. And she was told by her lawyer, don't poke the bear. Uh, several months later, she said, no, I, I really want to do this. And they, um, they had a contact Posse. First two times, Posse didn't show in court uh, via telephone. Third time he did. And he was so polite to the judge <laughs> that the judge turned around and said, if you make four, super, four supervised visits over two years, you can have the baby to yourself for, for a week. Mm. Well, uh, this was just not something that I, I couldn't stomach it. And uh, the first visit was in August of 2014. My daughter was very generous, let him see the baby Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, Sunday morning, and Sunday afternoon. He... Um, <laughs> He just he did ridiculous things. He'd ask my daughter, what does he eat for lunch? She she told him what he would eat. And instead, he brings McDonald's French fries and Oreo cookies. Now, I realize this is playing Disney dad, but this kid's also two years old. He, he really didn't eat French fries and Oreos for lunch. Uh, we made sure that friends sat in with him for the supervised visit. So none of the family was there to create any problem. And so that he couldn't take the baby, we hired bodyguards that were dressed as construction workers. At the end of the in New York or in uh, in New York or in in Florida, so he came up to New York. Right, right. It was only supervised. It was the only visit he had. And um, with that, uh, was a couple of weeks later. my, My daughter had become friends with the other baby mama, and they realized it was a cycle. Whatever happened to her would then happen to my daughter within two weeks with him. He would call the other baby mama dramatic, uh, which doesn't sound like a bad thing, but it, it, it really gets obnoxious after a while. He would call my daughter the same names. Uh, the court had ordered, um, what is it, 10-minute Skype visits twice a week. And if I had a visit with my grandson mm-hmm. for 10 minutes, I would... I don't know, I would want to play a game or something that was just ours. Instead, he would do things like, you know, turn your ear inside out. And he was being potty trained and he had an accident while speaking with him. And he mocked him, he, he belittled him. And my daughter shut off the camera and said, we're not doing this anymore. Let the court come after me. So it was several weeks later, uh, the, my daughter and the other baby mama got into his Facebook account. And there they read, that one of his mother's friends from Peru was going to come to Miami and Pasid was going to marry her. And her, <laughs> com- her comment was, I will raise all four of your children, especially the baby. <gasps> so all of our minds, he's taken this baby. Yeah. Later that day, my husband walks into the bedroom where I'm reading and he says to me, this has to end. Who do you know? 
I said, I, what do you mean, who do I know? You know more people than I do. And he says, yes, but you work with crazy people. I said, my patients are not crazy. <laughs> uh, and then I thought about it. And there was one that, that um, we were able to figure out that what was wrong with him was not a mental illness. It was, well, it, it wasn't so much a mental illness as it was a seizure disorder. And he was grateful for this because he was able to get on the right meds. And he went up moving from New York to Arizona. He says, anything you need, call me. And he had worked in a government agency. And this was the only person I could think of. I was not sleeping nights anymore. Um, so, you know, five nights without sleep, you know what that does to you. And I'm not sleeping well at all. I'm still working. I'm going bonkers at what's going on in the house. I don't like the extracurricular activities of my ex-husband. And um, it was the perfect storm. So I called this guy and he, uh, I explained what I needed. He told me I was on the phone. He can't help me. He hung up. He texted me 10 minutes later and said, let me work on your problem. Uh. Two or three weeks later, I get a phone call from a guy named Jay, who I thought was trying to make an appointment for my private practice. It wasn't. It was a friend of this guy who said, uh, can you meet me in 15 minutes? And I went, no, I'm an hour and a half from home. He said, okay, meet me at the mall in an hour and a half. He never asked what I was driving. It never occurred to me that they already knew. <laughs> oh, so I, I meet him at the mall. He gets in my car. I ask, you know, are you a police officer? Are you wearing a wire? Of which he said no to both. He had me move my car because the, the uh, mall security truck was driving around. It made him uncomfortable. What I didn't realize was it was audio and they were filming. So he wanted a clear shot. So he had me move my car. As I'm explaining what was going on, he was extremely sympathetic. You could see the, the vein in his head just twitching that it, it made him angry. Uh, we agreed on the uh, blue light special of uh, the fee involved. And I mean, I have no idea what these things cost. What did My, he ask for? He didn't ask for anything. I had to come up with a price. I had no idea. So I said, well, I don't know, five or 10,000. He goes, 10,000 is fine and 1,000 for expenses. I said, what are you, flying first class? He goes, no one <laughs> So then he, um, he'd asked me a few other questions, you know, did anyone else know? Um, he wanted to take care of this in a couple of days. And I said, no, because my husband had a conference in Florida. I didn't want him even in the state when this would take place. My original intent was not to have a hitman to kill him. I wanted him hurt so he would not hurt any more women or children. The other baby mama took a lot of physical beatings. My daughter had an emotional line. I think both are, are, are pretty heinous. So I, um, I didn't want him hurting anybody else, especially kids. And he hurt his own kids. Um, so he told me he didn't leave witnesses. And with that, I said, I thought to myself, I am a witness. I'm 57 years old. And um, I'm going to die. He's going to die too. So I said, okay. And then I made the absolute ridiculous comment. And it was my sarcasm, which obviously wasn't very funny. And I said, um, what are you going to do with the body? And he, he looked at me and he said, well, there's an app called Snapchat. We'll see the body for 10 seconds. It'll disappear. Because you're sure you want to see it? I said, I don't know. And I said, well, you'll be in Florida. Throw him to the gators. And clearly <laughs> The wrong thing to say. <laughs> uh, I was supposed to meet him at the end of the week and uh, give him half the money, which I did. And then um, as I left that parking lot, 
three police cars, put their lights on and sirens. I didn't do anything wrong. I thought nobody knew what was going on. So I pull into uh, the hotel parking lot over there and the three police officers, uh, three cars surrounded me. And when I asked why I was pulled over, they told me they believed a crime was about to be committed. I was arrested, arraigned on first degree attempted murder, first degree solicitation. Oh my God. A conspiracy. It got knocked down eventually to second degree attempted murder. Um, I had done some work with um, people in the county that apparently the judge was aware of. So the DA wanted 15 to 25 in my sentence and the judge overrode it and said five flat. I accepted the plea. I did not look at it as a gift at all. I wanted to kill myself. Um, my ex-husband went so far to say, don't ambush me. If you're going to kill yourself. I want a heads up first. Um, that's how bad the marriage was in the end. <laughs> and I wound up um, with an ankle cuff on. I felt like I was being tracked like a wild animal. And on August 19th, which was my grandson's third birthday, I remanded myself. And I wound up in New York State docks, um, wound up in Bedford Hills for nine nine weeks where I was assaulted. I lost three teeth, had my nose broken, had quite oh a contusion on my forehead. Yeah. And then uh, they put me uh, directly across the street into Connick, which is the minimum medium uh, women's prison. There's only three state prisons for women in New York. Are we only, uh, this is so horrible. We have two minutes left. Okay. Um, what, what do well, you want to say? Besides the title of the book. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I named my book Bitter or Better because it was a choice I had to make in prison. It wasn't all bad. I was able, I had a, a room by myself and I was able to find me again. Um, I'd gotten so lost in an unhealthy marriage and all the stressors of life that I found me again through journaling. My book is not so much about what I did as this crime took place, but it's what happened in prison. And I tell the stories of a lot of the other women mm. and that um, a lot of women in prison are there because of some kind of domestic violence yeah. or the way they get into drug use and abuse. Yes, absolutely. It's really all the men's fault. <laughs> all right. Well, <laughs> we need to, we, <laughs> we need to, um, we're going to have to end right now, but um, I just want to say, just tell us how is your uh, grandson and your daughter? Awesome. We all, I, I bought a house two weeks after I got out of prison and we all live here. So oh, it's, it's good. My daughter is also a therapist and she does an amazing job. She does trauma work and I couldn't be prouder of, of my firstborn. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Well, it was so good to uh, thank you so much for sharing your story. Oh, and I wish you, <laughs> I wish you all well. And again, the name of the book is bitter or better. The Melissa, Melissa Schoenfeld story. So Yes. Um, and Melissa obviously was only able to give us highlights. <laughs> <laughs> thank so, you so much for having me. You're very welcome. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 